Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here today. We are thankful for the invitation to be here, the opportunity to be here, the desire to be here, privilege to be here. Our God is great, and we thank him that he has used you to bring us to this place on on this night. If you have your copy of God's Word with you, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. My assigned subject tonight is the power of the gospel. And since there is no need to complicate things, you know, work smarter, not harder, I want to take us to a very obvious text in Romans chapter 1, specifically verses 15 through 17. But since we are so close to the beginning of the letter, let's begin our reading back at verse 1 for context. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, after all, it's Friday night. No one's in a hurry, right? Anybody in a hurry? Y'all, somebody witness, give me a witness. There's no hands up. Okay, so that's good to know. Thank you. Thank you. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, having been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was designated as the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we receive grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, earnestly asking if perhaps now At last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be be strengthened, that is, to be mutually encouraged while among you by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that often I have planned to come to you, and have been prevented so far, so that I may have some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In this way, for my part, I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, 
but the righteous will live by faith. So as the Apostle Paul begins here to pin the words of this letter to the churches in and around the city of Rome, the very seat of the Roman Empire, right from the get-go, he sets forth what will be the theme of his entire letter to them. The gospel of God will be, the gospel of God is the theme of this letter that we know as the book of Romans. And so just as Paul began, let's, let's begin the same way tonight. Let's, let's begin also with the gospel. First, by defining the gospel. Our God's gospel. Your God's gospel. Your creator's gospel. Your owner's gospel. Your ruler's gospel. Let's begin by defining his gospel, because realize, by our God's own sovereign and all-wise design, His salvation is through faith. His salvation is through believing, through believing into His gospel. And we cannot believe what we do not know. We cannot believe what we do not understand, at least at its very basic level. So what is the gospel? Well, It is as broad as Paul actually alludes to in verse 2. The gospel is God's good news. The gospel is the record of God concerning His Son. It's as broad as that. The gospel is the record of God concerning His Son, His only begotten Son, who in His sovereign love He gave, who in His sovereign love He sent, who in His sovereign love He came into this world that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes into His person, into His work, should not perish in their inherited and inherent death, but have everlasting life Himself. It's that broad. The Gospel is the record of God concerning His Son. And the gospel is, as Paul alludes to in verse 3, and as the angel declared to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, literally. You shall call his name Yahweh saves, because he shall save his people from their sins. From their sins. And the gospel is, as Paul alludes to in verse 4, the record of how The Christ, God's Christ, died for our sin. Not for His own sin, He he had none. And not as a a martyr, no, but as an actual God-appointed sacrifice, God-appointed substitute, God-appointed propitiation for our sin. The Gospel is how God's Christ came into this world and died for our sin according to the Scripture, and how He was buried dead in all of the sin of all who will believe, and then how He rose from the dead after three days in the grave, how He rose victorious over our sin that He died for, to ascend to the right hand of God and there take His office as our great high priest, our justifying perfection, according to the Scriptures. So this is God's gospel. 
God's Son, God's Christ, the Son of Man, Christ Jesus. He is God's Savior. If I could put it like that, I hope you understand what I'm saying. He is God's Savior. Not that, not that He, God needed saved. We need saved. And He's who God sent to save us. He is God's Savior. He is God's salvation. And there is no salvation other than in Him. There is no Savior other than Him. So let me ask you, first, do you know the gospel? I want to be very plain with you. This is so important. You cannot be saved without knowing the gospel. Also, just because you know the gospel intellectually does not mean you are saved either. James tells us that the devil knows the gospel. He knows Jesus. He believes in Jesus, but he's certainly not saved. So do you know the gospel? Second, do you know the power of God's gospel in your own life? And actually, before you answer that, let's, let's look a, a little deeper here at what the Apostle Paul has to say about the gospel, our God's good news and its power. Okay. So as we read the opening words of this letter, it quickly becomes clear to us that the Apostle Paul here, he has a desire. He has an earnest desire. He has the kind of desire that quickens your heart with readiness and, and your, and, and sets your feet and your, or your light in a certain direction. And he states this desire in verse 14. He writes, For my part, I am eager. I am ready. I am willing to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul's desire is that he preached the gospel. Paul's desire is that he proclaimed God's good news concerning his son, concerning his savior, concerning his salvation to these people that he is here writing to. You see, the reality was the gospel was spreading all throughout the Roman Empire, all the way to the capital city of Rome itself. People were being saved. Churches were being established. And surely, Paul's missionary endeavors in Asia and Europe were part of this, but Paul himself, he had never actually met the majority of these people personally. But he wanted to. He was ready. He had a desire. He was ready to come to them. He was, he was eager to meet them personally and personally preach the gospel to them himself. And so as we think about what he writes here, let me ask this. What should be our reaction to Paul's statement, to his desire here in verse 15? Well, our reaction should be, why? Why? Why, Paul, do you have this earnest desire? And I, and I can say that with some authority here because notice, Paul is going to anticipate and answer the question why in verse 16. Look at it. He's gonna, he's gonna say, why, Paul? Why, why, why do you have this desire for, or we would say because, and notice, notice there are actually three becauses here in verses 16 through 17. See them? Look at, look at them. Okay. And each of these becauses reveal something to us about the power of the gospel. So the first because here in verse 16, why, Paul? Why are you eager? Why are you ready? Why are you are you willing to preach the gospel? 
Why do you have this burning desire to go to Rome, to go to these people and to these churches in Rome? Why? The answer, see it? It's there. Because I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. So, Paul's driving desire to preach the gospel to them is driven by devotion, right? Right? His own devotion to the gospel. And, and just how devoted to the gospel, the one true gospel, the only gospel. By the way, this same apostle says there is only one gospel and all the others are imposters. Okay? So just how devoted to the one and only true gospel, the one and only true God, the one and only true Christ was he, was the Apostle Paul. Well, his words here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Y'all, he's not saying here, you know, I know some people will laugh at me and, and talk about, talk about me behind my back because I talk, talk about Jesus so much or, or I know I'm going to lose this association or, or that association because of my quote unquote religion. No, he is actually saying, I have given everything. I am giving everything. I will give everything for the gospel. I will give everything for Christ Jesus, my Lord, my, my everything. And I have absolutely no regrets. That's what that word shame means. I'll give everything I have. And I have no regrets. That's what Paul is saying when he says here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And listen, that's a, that's a mouthful. Because at this point in Paul's ministry, he had been laughed at. He had been criticized. He had been publicly shamed, beaten with rods and with whips, run out of town, smuggled out of town, and even stoned and left for dead. And maybe he was dead. And the worst, y'all, is still yet to come for the Apostle Paul. And he did all of this. He endured all of this for the gospel. And yet Paul's devotion to the gospel, his devotion to God, to the God and the Christ of the gospel, I have absolutely no regrets. I have no regrets. The surpassing value of the gospel, the surpassing value of Christ Jesus, my Lord, is worth it all. To know God in Christ Jesus, to know that He is everything and He, His reality, His truth in me and in this world is everything to me. Come what may, I have no regrets. Paul is saying, I've preached the gospel everywhere. I've suffered greatly for the gospel, but I want to come and preach the gospel to you regardless of what I've suffered. I'm not ashamed. I have no regrets of anything that I've suffered. The gospel is worth it. Christ Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. So yes, Paul's desire to preach the gospel to the churches in Rome was driven by his own supreme devotion to the gospel. And speaking of God and His gospel being everything, notice the second because here in verse 16. Why, why Paul? 
why are you not ashamed of the gospel? Answer, see it? Verse 16. Because it, that being the gospel, is the power of God. Keep marking your Bibles. Put a little line there. For salvation. Put a little line there. To everyone who believes. Put a little line there. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So let me ask us all something. In all of the desires and goals of your life, in all of the aspirations one might have in this world, if you and yours do not have our Creator God's salvation, if you and yours do not have His deliverance, if you and yours do not have His rescue, if you are you and yours do not have reconciliation and acceptance with Him, what do you actually have? What will you actually have? I think Jesus Himself answered that exact question when He asked the rhetorical question that's recorded in Matthew 16, verse 26. He said, What will it profit a man, man, woman, boy, girl? What will it profit he or she if he or she gains the whole world and yet forfeits his or her soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a person, man, woman, boy, girl, give in exchange for their eternal soul? What's more valuable than your eternal soul? So the apostle here, he had this fervent desire to go and preach the gospel in Rome because he had a, such a supreme devotion to it himself because he knew without a doubt that the gospel, how does he put it? The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is God's own power. The gospel is God's own power. The Greek word translated power here is dunamis. We, you can probably hear it, we get our English word dynamite from this word. The gospel is God's dynamite. The gospel is God's dynamite. And notice, it is God's dynamite for what? It is God's dynamite, His power, His dynamite for, or unto, or to bring God's salvation. The gospel, the gospel is God's dynamite to save, to rescue, to deliver. The gospel is God's own dynamite of deliverance. The gospel is God's own dynamite of deliverance. And notice also here the scope of, of God's dynamite of deliverance to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, God's good news, God's dynamite of deliverance it transcends all unbelief. It transcends all religions. It transcends all beliefs in every age and in all and every culture. In other words, there is everything and everyone else, and then there is the gospel, the good news of God's deliverance. There, there is everything and, and everyone else, and then there is the actual deliverance, the the soul-saving deliverance of God's dynamite. You hear me? There's everything and everyone else and 
been set apart from everything and everyone else and every other message and every every other person. There is God's own, His own dynamite unto deliverance. And oh, what good news this is. How we all ought to rejoice and exult in Paul, in the Holy Spirit's revelation, in this description here of the Gospel, actually being, by God's own sovereign design, His dynamite unto deliverance. Because, listen, regardless of what we may hear in our day of man-centered religion, regardless of what we may hear in this day of some where some powerless gospel that is not gospel, that is not good news at all, it seems to come to the forefront, regardless of all of that, y'all listen, God's gospel is not coming to people who are in neutral. God's gospel is not, are, is not coming to people who just need to make a religiously positive decision. No, God's gospel comes to people who are willingly, willfully, offensively dead to God. God's gospel is coming to people who are dead and dying in the depravity, in the con- corruption of their impenetrable heart of rebellious stone. God's gospel is coming to people who will not and cannot do anything actually truly Godward at all. That's what it is to be dead in your trespasses. You cannot, nor will you, do anything truly Godward at all. That doesn't mean you won't be religion. Yeah, you'll be religion. Everybody has religion. You think the atheist doesn't have religion? Oh, his religion's big. It's him. Her. God's gospel is coming to people who are actively at war with God. God's gospel is coming to people who are against God and the truth. God's gospel is coming to people in this world today who have only one single solitary hope to be rescued from their complete and eternal separation from their Creator, which is called hell. And that one hope is that the Holy Spirit Himself, God Himself, God the Spirit Himself, sovereignly, effectually, irresistibly blow their rebellious, stony, antichrist heart apart with His good gospel dynamite. That's their hope. That's all of our hope. And the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, is telling them, the church people, members of the church at Rome, and, and us right here, that this is what it takes to save sinners like us. And God is willing. And God is able to do that very thing. What good news this is, y'all. There is really Truly hope for hopeless and helpless sinners. There really is. There is, there is rescue. There is deliverance for hopeless and helpless sinners. There is hope for sinners of all and every degree. There is hope for sinners in all and every place. And there is hope. There is this hope for deliverance because of the power of God's gospel. 
praise Yahweh that He is mighty to save. Praise God that He is mighty to save the lost. We have a really wonderful example of this power of God's dynamite in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached in Jerusalem there on the day of Pentecost. Just 50 days previous, they crucified the Lord of glory in that same city. And speaking of what the gospel is, if you go and examine Peter's sermon, I thought about doing this, but I've only got two hours tonight. If you go and examine Peter's sermon, you will find out that Peter preached the three-point outline. He preached the sovereignty of God, the sinnerhood of man, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in salvation. By the way, I know in our day people flinch from that word sovereignty. You know, if God was not sovereign, not one single human being would be saved. We better love that our God is God. That's what sovereignty means. Our God is God. And so Peter, he preached that day the sovereignty of God, the centerhood of man, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in salvation. He preached the gospel. And the people he preached to, some of them, I'm sure, were in the crowd just 50 days before, screaming to the top of their voice, crucify him, crucify him. I'm sure as well, some in the crowd at, at Pentecost even had previously heard and rejected Christ himself, the preacher of all preachers, preaching the gospel of his kingdom. That ought to make all of us preachers humble, shouldn't it? But on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit lit the fuse of God's dynamite and 3,000 people. The Holy Spirit lit the fuse of God's dynamite and blew their stony heart to pieces. And 3,000 people, 3,000 souls were saved that day at once. I'll give you this little, I don't know this to be true, but it may well be. How do, how do you baptize 3,000 people in one day? Well, I, I was in Israel and out in front of where it used to be the entrance to the temple. I had no idea. There were just rows of what is called mikvahs. They were purification pools, baptismal pools, as far as we can understand them. That's how you baptize 3,000 people in one day. Maybe. So listen. God, through His gospel, through the preaching of His gospel, He is able and He is willing to save, to deliver, to rescue Previously dead and dying, hell-bound, hell-worthy sinners. He really is. He really is. He's not willing to save the righteous. Jesus made that clear. But He's willing to save sinners. He's willing to save sinners. Are you a sinner who needs a Savior? God is willing to save He's willing to save. He really is. And Paul, his apostle, certainly knew he was because he saved him. God blew his stony heart apart as well, most likely when he 
heard Stephen preaching and giving his life for the gospel. Paul, the apostle of God, he knew the dynamite of of the power of the gospel to save the lost. He knew that. He understood that. I'm ready to come. I'm eager to come preach the gospel to you. But you know what, saints of God? God's power to save the lost through his gospel is not all that Paul knew or that he has in view here after as he begins this letter. It's not. The more I study this text, the more I realize that it was definitely the case. For one thing, here in verse 15, when he says, I desire to preach the gospel to you, the you is the church members of the churches in, of Rome who he had previously just previously qualified in the same chapter as being beloved, called, and even proven saints of God. Your faith is known throughout all the world. These are proven saints of God that he's writing this to. He desired to preach the gospel. He desired to preach God's dynamite of deliverance to them. Second, in verse 16, when he writes about the dynamite power of the gospel, he writes that the gospel is God's dynamite unto salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. The word believes in that text is a present active verb. Literally, he is saying that the gospel of God, his record concerning his son, is God's dynamite of deliverance in the lives of those who are presently actively believing. The gospel is God's dynamite of deliverance in the lives of those who are presently actively believing. And third, look at the third because of in verse 17. Okay, so Paul, why do you desire to preach the gospel to the believers in Rome? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and they shouldn't be either. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm devoted to the gospel, and they should be completely devoted to it as well, like me. And Paul, why, why are you, why are you not ashamed? Why do you not regret after all that you've suffered? For the sake of the gospel, why are you? Why do you have no regrets? And and they should neither, because it is God's dynamite of deliverance. Yes, to the lost, but not only to the lost. It is also God's dynamite of deliverance to those who are believing. It is God's dynamite of deliverance to all believers as well. And why, Paul? Why is God's dynamite of deliverance? You know, from sin, unbelief, faith, faithlessness, temptation, weakness. Saints, you know any of those things in your life? Saints of God, born again children of God, you know any of those things in your life? You struggle with sin? You struggle with weakness? You struggle with temptation? Yes? Yes. Notice verse 17. Why is it... Why is the gospel God's dynamite of deliverance to them that are believing to believers? Because, verse 17, because in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteousness will live by faith. So, do we all see it? Paul here is 
actually directly referring to believers here. I mean, from those, from faith to faith, what does that mean? It means from those who have faith to, to having more faith is what it means. From faith to faith. That's, that's a believer. And the righteous or the justified, those who are justified through faith, they shall live by faith. He's talking about believers. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not denying, and Paul isn't either, the power of the gospel to save the lost. It is absolutely necessary. Absolutely. But obviously, the main intent of what he is saying right here is the power of God's salvation to save the saved, to sanctify the saved. Listen, saints. God's salvation is not a past tense salvation. It is not. God's salvation, saving faith, saving faith is not in a past time or in a past place. Saving faith, true saving faith, is in a present Savior. Your present Savior, who is presently saving you. He didn't rise from the dead and ascend to the heaven and take His office as high priest for nothing. His intercession is His perfection through which we are perfected. He is saving you right now. If He is not saving you right now, you are not saved. And if you do not have faith that knows He is saving you right now, I'm not saying that sometimes that faith is small. I'm not saying that, that sometimes that faith is weak. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's all but non-existent except to hang on to the, to the Word of God, to the Gospel. But God's salvation is not a past tense salvation. God's salvation, real true salvation, is present tense. Yes, it's all of grace from start to finish. Yes, absolutely. It's all through God's grace-given, freely-given faith. Yes, not of you, of Him alone. It's all in, in, that faith is all in Christ Jesus alone. Yes, absolutely. And what God has started, He will certainly finish. But in our experience, it is a process. In our experience, it is a constant, present, active work that God is doing in us. It's as good as done in the mind of God. Romans chapter 8, we're already past tense glorified. But I'm looking at y'all and y'all ain't glorified. And you're looking at me and you know I ain't glorified. Not yet. It's as good as done in the mind of God. It's signed, sealed, and delivered before the foundation of the earth in Christ Jesus. It has to be. It has to be. It can never have anything to do with you. It can never have anything to do with me. Look at us. It has to be in Him. It has to be in a power outside of us, doesn't it? It is done. It is finished in Christ Jesus. But in the experience of our life, in this process of sanctification, it is just that. It is a process. It is a process. But it is a process that God is working and He has means in which He works this process. We're seeing right here that one of the main means of that is the gospel. Is the message of how God saves sinners in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. 
So let's, as believers, living in fallen bodies and in a fallen world, let's just, let's just think just for a moment about what Paul is saying here in verse 17. He is telling them, the Holy Spirit's telling us, this is all written in inspiration of the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God. It is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. So the Holy Spirit is telling us that, that we believers, born again, children of God, all had this driving desire to go to Rome to preach the gospel to those believers. We can see that in the text. That means they, and therefore we, Need the gospel. You need the gospel. You need the gospel of God poured over you at every opportunity, and especially in this wicked world that we live in. You need the gospel. You need the word of God. The central message, the theme of the whole of God's word is the gospel. You, me, we all need the word of God poured over us. I'll, I'll even tell you this. You know, one reason that conferences like this are a blessing because preachers get preached to. We need preached to. You don't think you need preached to, preacher. Get out of the pulpit. You don't need to be there. At least not in that state of mind. The Holy Spirit is telling us that we need the gospel. And we do so. Verse 17, he writes, because the righteousness of God is revealed in it. That's what he says, right? You see it in verse 17? I'm not making this stuff up. You see it? The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So how does an understanding of the righteousness, of the perfect uprightness, of the intrinsic goodness of God, how does that help deliver? How does that help save us from our sin, from the presence of our sin? How does that help sanctify us unto God himself? How? How does an understanding of the righteousness of God help sanctify us unto God Himself, saints? You you all know we need to be sanctified unto God. We need to be closer and closer and closer to the Lord. We need to be more and more and more conformed into the image of God. By the way, the same apostle in 2 Corinthians writes that that happens when we see Christ, when we're looking upon the glory of God and we are changed from glory unto glory into that very same image. It's the gospel that changes us into the image of Christ. God has provided this for us. We need it. He is so good to do so. Yes, He is so wonderful to save lost sinners, but y'all, you're still a sinner. You still have need to be that finished work of salvation finished in you and in me. This is how God does it through the gospel. But how specifically, as Paul writes here, how is that done through the righteousness of God being revealed? Well, let me expose it like this. How many of us saints, how many of us in our time of weakness, that can take many forms, varying forms, How many of us in our time of weakness, and I hope this is all of us, how many of us have ever truly wondered, I mean truly wondered, how in the world could God ever be right to save one, someone as weak and as sinful 
and is rotten and is vile. Let's just say it, as guilty as me. You ever thought that? In those times of weaknesses. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. How many times your mind, like, I mean, you can be reading your Bible. And your mind wanders off someplace, and before you know it, it's in the in the gutter somewhere. It's like, where did the thought, that thought come from? Hatred for other people. You could be on your knees reading your Bible, praying in in the Word, and and all of a sudden, hatred. You start thinking about people, and, and all of a sudden, hatred in your heart for these people flares up, and you're like, how is that possible? How in the world could God ever be right? To save someone so vile and, and, and so, so guilty, right? Well, saints, if you've ever run, wondered that, if you really, really want to know the truth and you really, really want to understand how that can be, you can sit and you can find out why in the gospel. You can find out how in the gospel. That's how. The gospel is how. God could be right to save a wretched sinner like me. The gospel, when God made his son a propitiation for our sin, that word propitiation is tied to the word, the mercy seat. You know where, what the mercy seat was? If you've done any Old Testament study, you'll find out the, the mercy seat is where the blood was splattered, which was, which signified death. God made his son to be the stomping ground of his own wrath. Not for his sin, for your sin, saint. That's how God could be right to save a wretched sinner like you. God, the Old Testament picture, laid his hands upon the head of his son. And he transferred our sins onto him. And Christ willingly took those sins unto himself. And God poured out the full fury of His wrath that you and I deserve upon Him. And He received it. And He satisfied that wrath. And through Him, guilty, wretched sinners like us, undeserving sinners like us, can be free. Guilty sinners like us can be free of guilt in Christ Jesus. The Gospel. The Gospel is is how God helps us to understand the, the righteousness of God that is displayed in the gospel is how we can understand how God could ever save a sinner like we are. The answer to how God could ever save sinners like us is that God chose to save us by His free, unmerited favor. By His free grace. And Scripture says that He did that while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, even in Adam's loins. God did that. God chose to save us, knowing that if He was to save us, He would have to do it all. If He was to rescue us, He would have to do it all. I've heard this this, this illustration where, you know, God throws out the life, the, the, the life ring and you just grab a hold of it. Uh-uh. That's not a fitting example illustration at all. That's, that's not the good news. 
We ain't got arms to grab hold of it, y'all. No, we're not floating on top of the water. We're down on the bottom. And the fish are eating our flesh. And the bugs are eating our flesh. And the sea creatures, the crabs are eating our flesh. And God, Christ dies into our humanity. And He grabs a hold of us. And He saves us and brings us to God. God knew that He would have to do just that when He chose to save us, when He designed to save us. And if if God, if He chose to save us then and like that, if He committed Himself, if He committed His precious Son to us like that, well, how will He not finish what He started? If we were as vile as could be when He began, what? how could we ever be any more vile than we were. What would stop him? If he committed to save us when we were like that, then when we were like that, what would stop us? What would stop him? If he loved, sovereignly loved the unlovable, he won't stop loving us now, will we? Will he? His love is born out of his love. He told Israel, I don't love you because you were great, but you were big. You ain't. <laughs> we can see it, right? I loved you because I loved you. And that's how God loved you, saints. When you were unlovable. So surely He won't stop loving us now. If He gave the perfect person and the perfect work of His Son to us freely then, He won't take His person and work away from us now. Will he? If he has declared us uncondemnable in Christ Jesus, well, how could he ever condemn us again? If he has promises, promised to work all things for our good, and surely the height of that, that good is salvation, right? If he has committed and promised to work all things for our good, Can't I trust Him in every situation and in every circumstance? Can't I trust Him in victory? Yes, yes, yes. But also also in pain and sorrow. Can't I? If He has committed Himself to working all things for my good, for my salvation. Can't I trust Him in everything? By the way, I think Paul's got something to say about all of those things in this very letter, doesn't he? In this very letter. Y'all get that? Hmm. So do we all see how the reality of God's righteousness to save sinners like us, that is all bound up in the person, the perfect person, and the perfect work of Christ Jesus, and not in us at all, can we all see how this saves us, how the gospel glory of Christ Jesus builds our faith from faith to more faith, right? And helps us to live by faith as the justified in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, just so we know, and I'm about done, y'all, at least within the next hour, just so we know, saints, just how committed 
to saving us, how committed to delivering believers, us saints, by this gospel dynamite that God, God truly is? Context is a glorious thing. The Holy Spirit here is actually doing something through the Apostle Paul and his devotion and his instruction to these saints concerning the gospel that Paul is not even aware of here. But God is. You see, it won't be too long after this letter arrives in Rome that a new emperor will begin to rule over the Roman Empire. And he will hate Christians. After all, in a Roman emperor's eyes, they themselves were the king of kings, not Jesus. But with this particular emperor, it will become his goal in life to rid and to exterminate the entire empire of Christians. And he will do so with unparalleled violence against them, as if the crucifixion, Roman crucifixion, wasn't violent. Soon will be the days for Christians in Rome, surely some of these Christians that were reading this letter, that this letter was sent to. Soon will be the days for them that they will be gathered up, they will be impaled on poles and lit on fire, serve as the street lamps for the city of Rome. And so the obvious question is, how could Christians living under such horrible persecution, how could they ever persevere in the faith? Y'all, we got AC, padded pews, 99.9% chance, if you want to call it that, that nobody's going to be coming through that door and gathering us us up to even put us in in cushy prison, let alone impale our bodies and hang us as streetlights for the city. But can I get a witness? Even for us, it's difficult to persevere in the faith. But for these Christians, I mean, think about that. And, and that's just one of the things that he did to them. He turned, he turned all of Rome against them. He blamed them for starting a fire that he fired, that he, he, he set and destroyed part of the city with. Evil, evil man. Nero, you can read history about it. So how, how could Christians like you and me, just people, human beings, living under that sort of persecution, how could they ever persevere in the faith? Answer? It's one single answer. By believing and living in the power of God's dynamite of deliverance. By believing and living in the power of the gospel glory of God the Son. That's how. That's the only way. So, saints, I I am out of time, but let me just ask you this. How much of your daily devotion, what I mean by that, how much of your daily walk with God is devoted to, is living in and living from 
the actual gospel that we defined at the beginning of the message. How much of your walk with God is is living in and living from the gospel? Well, I will tell you what the answer should be. It should be all of it. It should be all of it. Our, You see, our daily devotion, I hope we understand this, our daily devotion is inseparable from the Word of God. I'm not just talking about reading the Word of God in the daily devotion. We should all be doing that, by the way. I'm not saying it's not. But our daily walk with the Lord, we have to walk according to His way that He has instructed us to walk. We can't go off on our own way and think, well, that's good enough. No. Our walk with the Lord has to, is inseparably tied to His Word, the instruction, the encouragement, the direction of His Word. And here's the thing, y'all. This Word, this book, from start to finish, it is the record of God concerning His Son. Ultimately, the whole thing is the record of God concerning His Son. The whole thing is the gospel glory of Christ Jesus. All of our walk with the Lord, our daily walk with Him, we should want to be have the gospel, the Word of God poured over us, we should want to be thinking about that. We should want those things to be stirred up in our mind constantly. And we need one another as the Lord's churches. We need our fellow members to help us. Didn't the book of Hebrews say something about that? To provoke us to love and good works? It didn't just say it because, well, we don't really need that. No, we need one another. God designed all of this as the means of His grace to sanctify us as Him unto Himself. And at the center of all of it is the gospel. Paul mentioned praying the gospel, singing the gospel, preaching the gospels. That's what we should be doing together and, and separately because we need the gospel. It's God's own dynamite of deliverance in your life. Do you lack? Do you lack in your walk with the Lord? Do you lack nearness to Him? Get in His Word. Find His Gospel. Concentrate your mind and beg Him to make it real to your life. May the Lord help us. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we